Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're so glad you could be here with us this Sunday. The kids' ministry is looking for volunteers willing to help out during service once a month. If you're interested, please contact Matt Cutler or the church office. On June 13th, we're going to the Akron Zoo, and we'd love to have you join us. You'll need to register by May 30th, which you can do online or outside of the worship center in the foyer. That's all the announcements for today. Thanks for joining us. All right, well, good to see you, everybody. If you'd like to stand with us, we'll pray. And Father, we, we pray a prayer thanking you for what you've done through your son. Thank you for shed blood on our behalf. Thank you for life. Thank you for everything that is within your gospel, ready for there, ready there for us to come and drink of it. I pray that you would grant us that drink today as we go forward, that you would sanctify your word in us so that it would go out in power and be received in humility. And you're a wonderful God, the wonderful God. And we thank you for your truly amazing grace and steadfast compassion for those who believe in Christ. And may that belief be furthered and grown upon today. And may it be cultivated and created and planted and may it grow. Thank you for this very thing. And for your wonderful name we pray.
I can't say it enough. It's just great to see you guys. I, absence truly makes the heart grow fond, and I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like we're coming back to life again, which is just awesome. And I know that as, uh, you know, the days and the weeks unfold and we discover what the new normal is, uh, that it actually is a different world that we're emerging into post-pandemic. And I'd like to think in many ways, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that are good that have happened out of this season. I think for some people, it's been an opportunity to take an inventory on your life and to see how God really is uh, an important part of our way of life here on planet Earth. And we've wanted to kind of feed that a little bit by, book, by going through the, just the entire book of Luke and asking the question, what is it like to follow Jesus through this story? And so that's what we're doing. We're following Jesus through the storyline of the book of Luke. Uh, but as we do that, um, it's not just any story, but it is a living story. And we are invited into uh, this journey uh, through space and time that's a spiritual space that um, doesn't really require us to actually go back to the first century but to the pages of scripture where we can, in a very living and dynamic way, participate through the Holy Spirit. So if you got all of that, um, I'd like to just open up uh, by, uh, by having a word of prayer, inviting the Lord into our experience here, uh, as well as you guys online, and uh, then we'll begin. Father, we are so grateful that as we gather in this room, we are a hope-filled people. There is a foundation that we have drawn from these past several months that uh, you can't find anywhere, Lord, other than in the pages of your holy word. And we're so thankful for the stabilizing effect that the scripture has upon our lives, how it is a voice of clarity and truth in a sea of chaos and and, and, and a lot of things that just are not very accurate. And so, Lord, we want to express gratitude for remaining faithful to us, for helping us with your word, encouraging us through your spirit, and in all the ways that we've been able to connect with each other during the pandemic, we thank you, Father, for just one another and for using your church uh, to be a vehicle of encouragement. And we ask, Father, that you now use us as a vehicle for salt and light to the world around us that is struggling uh, so desperately in so many ways on foundations that are proving to be very unsure. And so as we just take the substance of our relationship with you and our connection with you through your word, we pray that you would just, like a piano tuner tunes a piano, you would tune our hearts and our minds uh, to your will and your voice. And may we do that now, Lord, as you enable us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Would you, would you say that with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, as I kind of led up to it uh, before the prayer, uh, we are looking at the book of Luke and we're going to be just... Uh, paying attention to, I think, a pretty dramatic but very personal story that right out of the gate, from the giving of the sermon on the plane, uh, now Jesus is saying, I'm going to take those words that I just preached to you, and I'm going to show you how to live it out. And there's no better way to be apprenticed into the faith than to have somebody show you how to do something. Now, how many of you 
have found that because of YouTube, you are a lot more bold in taking on challenges. Whether it's doing a simple repair at home, whether it's learning how to cook something you never would have cooked before, whether it's taking on a new hobby or going somewhere you've never gone before. Anybody have that experience? Because I got to think that a lot of us spent some time on YouTube while we were on our little digital break. Uh, I know I did. I, I learned a number of things, uh, most of it pretty useless, but um, some of it uh, has been very helpful. I had a lawnmower break, and I had no idea how to fix it. Where did I go? YouTube. And there's a guy on there who told me how to fix it, and then I'm like halfway through the video and thinking, this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. So I'm looking for another video to try to explain to me my problem, and that guy didn't really know what he was talking about either. Then I find this guy named Terrell, Terrell Dactyl. <laughs> That's his name. I don't know. Look it up but not during the sermon, okay? <laughs> Terrell is actually an entertainer. He has these fake teeth that he, that he puts in, and then he kind of dramatizes repairing lawnmowers. And the thing about Terrell is he's got game. He not only is entertaining, but he knows how to fix a mean lawnmower. And thank goodness for Terrell, Dactyl, my mower went from running on one cylinder to two. And I told Stephen, he said, the mower's not working right. And I'm just like, well, you're probably not operating it right. And now I know he's going to say, yeah, Dad, you're probably not repairing it right. But thankfully, I'm a disciple of Pterodactyl now, and I am on my way to becoming an expert. And if you were with us last week, you know I had a tooth issue going on anyway, and I sorted that out, and now I have uh, my teeth all working well, and I may just get some like Terrell's before I'm done, though, which will be kind of like I'm his disciple. Well, the thing I like about the access that we have to how to be schooled in important and vital areas of our lives is that Jesus was no stranger to that experience. He actually wanted us to take the words of the Sermon on the Plain, which we find uh, in Luke chapter 6, and begin to figure out how it is that we would do these things ourselves, such as um, loving our enemies, which it seems like we're in a moment where that, that definitely uh, needs to be something to consider, as polarized as people are. Um, and when you look at the sermon, it talks about ways to be blessed. And we certainly could use some blessing. And Jesus hits the ground running. Right out of the gate from that sermon, he moves towards uh, the of a centurion's son, or servant, rather. But now it gets even a little bit more personal and a little bit deeper in where he goes next. Now, if you uh, look at a biblical map, which I'm going to show you quickly, um, I'm not quite sure why I'm, I'm in and out, but it's, uh, Brian, um, you know, he, he went on, he went to a cabin with his wife for the weekend. Can you believe it? The nerve. But he is newly married, so that makes sense. Well, anyway, I'm not going to blame him. It's usually me anyway. So if you look at this map up here, we're getting ready to talk about a story that uh, runs deep in Scripture. And oftentimes, many of the stories of Jesus center around the Sea of Galilee. And he spends a great deal of time in that city up north called Capernaum. If you can read the letters there, it's where the line is coming down. It looks like an S. At the top is Capernaum, where he gave the Sermon on the Plain. And he decides that he's going to go south about 25 miles to the road that leads to a little village called Nain. 
And the scripture says that there are a great many people with him, traveling, following him, watching him, learning from him. And some people, like, you know the interesting thing about YouTube as well is the comments. Some of the comments are actually pretty helpful. But for whatever reason, there's always people that want to troll on other people that are just trying to put out a decent YouTube video. They'll say dumb things like, yeah, Terrell, uh, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, Terrell, you need some orthodontia work. Or, yeah, Terrell, who would marry you looking like that? You know, stuff that doesn't even matter. And Jesus also has trolls following uh, each movement of his, of his journey. And this story is no exception. Okay, you with me so far? All right, there's something else about this map that I, I, I want you to consider. There are a lot of things in the Old Testament that happened that occurred in that area. Matter of fact, there's some things that happened that I, I think we need to just look backward at for a second before I tell you the story. In the book of 1 Kings, there's a prophet named Elijah, okay, with me so far? Uh, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And he was living in a time of King Ahab, think Jezebel, okay? Don't need to go any further than that. It was a dark, dark moment for Israel. And in the process of dealing with the shenanigans of this king and queen, a pastoral situation emerges. And here's how, it, here's how it unfolds. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. But he said to her, Give me your son. And as this situation unfolds, I'll just give you the, 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 the long and the short. He prays over the body of the son, and the son begins to respond in a way that no one saw coming. We read these words in verse 32 or 22. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Now we're going to go to 2 Kings. Same thing. When Elisha, who was a prophet that followed Elijah, came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on the bed. So he went in and closed the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. And essentially, he did very similar gestures over the child, prayed for the child. And then what we read is um, he got up on the bed and lay upon the child, putting his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands while he lay there. And so he called to her after he healed her. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came and she fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she took her son and left. Now, these two stories actually captured the imagination of Israel at the time for a couple of reasons. One of them was these are actually people that are not, they're very loosely connected to the people of God, but they're actually kind of outsiders. Second thing, God had compassion so much so upon these widows that he went to great lengths to prove that he cared for people inside the nation of Israel and outside the nation of Israel so much that he was willing to raise their child from the dead. Now, let's just stop for a minute and think about 
what these two women had experienced. The loss of a husband, which I know some people in this room have lost a spouse, and so you know the pain. But imagine being a woman under those conditions where your security rested upon the capacity of the male in your home to help provide. And then knowing that son whom you love so much and was your lifeline had died. Compounded with the fact that that meant whatever pension that she had, whatever social security that she had, whatever Medicare that she had, gone. Now, how do you think God views that? I have a feeling because this story shows up twice, it's, it's really on God's heart. The burden that many people face in this world with absolutely no security whatsoever. And that creates a dilemma for God and his people. So Jesus gives this sermon, and he starts to walk south. Let's put the map back up there for a second, okay? He's walking south to a place called Nain. Now, if you see the word Nain up there, you'll see it right by the word Shunem. And Shunem was where the healing happened with Elisha. So something interesting is happening here that is trying to make a point for you and I. And any time the Bible, see the Bible doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. The past over and over. Boy. <laughs> Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Brian just have it when he gets back. But anyhow, so here comes this guy, Jesus. And Luke says he's a great prophet. And a lot of people are saying, prove it. So here we go. Luke 7, 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a great crowd went with him. So imagine about a 1,000 people following you on a dusty road, 25 miles. Now, would you follow somebody on foot 25 miles? It would have to be a pretty interesting person. And I have a feeling that Jesus was definitely the entertainment of the day. So a 1,000 people following Jesus, and he's getting ready to have a divine appointment. Because on the other side of the road, coming his way, that most people aren't even aware, is a funeral procession. And this family, or should I say now, this woman, has lost her son. And we're going to See what happened. As he drew near to the, t the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Okay, so let's just stop for a minute. We're going back to that road. Big crowd of people coming this way. About 500 people coming this way. Because you know back then when somebody died in a small town and you saw the funeral procession happening and actually the, the woman leading uh, the charge, everybody left their homes and they began to follow to go to the cemetery which was right outside on the west end of town. And... Behind her were actually people that were paid to wail. They were paid to cry. That was their job. I mean, if you can cry easy, 
and you were unemployed, you could do that. You could go down to Starks, as morbid as all this sounds, and you could say, hey, I know this is important and it's a thing. Bring me on board. Kind of weird, isn't it? But that's just the way it was. They, the reason being, death was one of those events that people recognize a need to memorialize, to honor the person, to find closure. Now, contrast that with today. When I started out as a pastor, somebody passes away, and you're in the car with the funeral director, all the cars pull off to the side, they stop, and they show their respects. Now, you're, now if I ride with, with, with Dan, it's like Dan's trying to get out there, and these cars are like boom, boom, boom. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. Nobody even sees that somebody died. Nobody wants to see that somebody died because our culture has actually lost the ability to have a category for death. Let's just not think about it. And so it's interesting talking to my friends down at the funeral home because they'll say, I'll see people in the store and I'll say, how's it going? And I can tell that there's sort of a troubled look on their face because they had just been to the funeral home maybe six months, a year, possibly even two years. But they decided to save money. And I don't want to, and I don't want to condemn anybody here, but in this case, they decided to save money by not, not going through with any kind of a ceremony. But what happens, because people are sacred on so many levels, that if there is no closure, there is no peace. You have to have something that memorializes the passing of a person in a way that helps you to emotionally find closure, helps you to deal with your own grief process, and helps you to move on. I mean, Jewish people to this day actually wear a black armband because they are saying, signaling to the people around them, we're honoring this person that we had shared so many stories with and now we can't share them and we miss them and we want to respect their absence and we live in a moment where that is disappearing to a point where we are unhealthy I'm just going to say that as a pastor you have to have something that helps you through that process that memorializes the person. Well, back then they got it. And so here the lady's coming and she's leading the way and Jesus is coming this way. And I got to wonder what's going on inside her head. Now, if you remember the first story from 1 Kings, the lady said, what have I done that has caused this to happen, that God has done this to me? There was a sense floating around in the day, and even Jesus' day, where if something bad happened to you, it's because of something bad that you did. Now, we know that that, that that does happen, for sure. And then other people are saying, and they're whispering, that happened to her. She lost her husband. She lost her son. Because... And it was in the air, and it was palpable. So she lost her husband, she lost her son, she lost her livelihood, and now she's losing her sense of honor in the community because people are shaming her for whatever it is that she's done that's made God angry at her. And you know what Jesus is trying to do here? He's trying to redraw the picture of who God is. Anybody ever seen a picture of God? You ever draw one? Well, what would it look like if I just said, stop, grab your pens, grab your paper, and let's draw a picture of God? And you might say, um, 
I can't draw a picture of God because nobody's seen him. And I'd show you my picture, and I'd say, well, you can now, but it would be from this picture that we're looking at. Because I think a lot of people, when they come to church, they have this view of God that is certainly very high, and it's majestic, and it's beyond comprehension, and it's powerful, and it's worthy of fear. But what God wants to do is show us that he gets it, that he truly understands what it's like to be a human being here on planet Earth. As they meet, the scripture says, he saw her. And then it says, he had compassion on her. All right, let's look at this for a minute. Because what I've discovered in reading through the, script, the Gospels like we've been reading, do you know how many times it says that Jesus looked at somebody, Jesus saw somebody? Forty times. And you may think, well, what's the big deal? Let me give you some examples of what it means to be looked at through the eyes of Jesus. So here's just some scriptures of eyes of compassion. Um, Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mark 10, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. John 19, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he asked his close friend to take care of his mother. And do you know what's going on at the same time? He's dying on a cross. So don't ever think that you can't come to church or you can't approach God because God would never have anything to do with you. If you believe that, I don't know where you're getting it, but you're not getting it from the Bible. Now, notice the connection between seeing and having compassion. Seeing and having love. Seeing and caring. Matter of fact, this, this text is just so loaded with stuff that it says that he had compassion on this woman. And the word that's used there is the Greek word. Now, I want you to say this with me after I say it. Splunknizomai. Can you say it? Splunknizomai. And you're thinking, Pastor made us say a word, and I think he just made it up. Okay, I didn't, because splunknizomai literally means bowels of compassion. It means that the very feeling that is in the air, he experienced in the deepest part of his gut. You ever seen something and it just moved you to tears, caught you off guard, and you saw it and you're like, oh, I get it. And maybe it's because you've had a similar experience. Or you could relate to it through a what-if scenario with someone that you love. And God is looking at her through the eyes of Jesus, and he's saying, I feel it. And you, then you know what he does? The unthinkable. Scripture says that he came, well, first of all, he said, um, don't weep. Don't weep. Sometimes it's comforting to have somebody to tell us. I'm going to help you. You don't need to weep. We're going to get through this. And that's what he's saying to this woman. He's looking at her eye to eye. She's looking at him. And what does she see? I, I, I tend to respond to people when I look at them that are doing like one of three things. One of them, if they're angry, I can, I can see it. The other one... If they're afraid, I kind of start to get a little afraid myself. But when I see somebody that looks at me 
with gentle eyes of love, it's disarming. It just overwhelms you with a sense of, at least I know I'm not alone here. And that's what he's telling her. But then he's drawing on these Old Testament stories by the way they're happening geographically, that he's saying volumes to the people around them that I'm going to do something here. And here's what he does. He touches the body, which is what you don't do. You don't touch the body or it's just taboo. It's unclean. It's not right. And he touches the body. Nobody does that except for a couple of prophets from the Old Testament. They did it, and, of course, the body came back to life, but is that going to happen here? And the Scripture tells us, he said, like, he, like those prophets did, I say to you, get up, and he gets up. What do you think the mom was thinking at the time? Just absolute shock. I can't believe it. I was a widow, and my world was just unraveling, and God showed tremendous compassion in a way that I never anticipated. Matter of fact, I never thought I'd meet God on this road now, but that's the way God is. He shows up a lot of times when we don't expect it because he's paying attention. He's looking. And if there's one thing that we can learn from this, if anything, is when somebody has a need and everybody else is just driving by, like, funeral, what funeral? You're in the hospital, what hospital? You're in a car wreck, what car wreck? You have a need, what need? That's our world. I, I've actually never seen in my lifetime people so self-preoccupied as I have now. I, you just don't... People just don't look around. They're too much in their head. But Jesus wasn't. He was constantly looking at the faces of the people around him and saying, these are the eyes of compassion. These are the eyes of God that have come to heal you, but beyond that, to rescue you. And as Jesus is unfolding this whole drama in the eyes of everybody, at this one moment, the crowd gasped in fear. And we're talking some pretty horrific fear here, like we're undone. We've just, <clears throat> we've just seen the very works of God. And then, like the people on the road to... Um, uh, as, as he's going in the triumphal entry, everybody's just clapping and celebrating, and it's just awesome and over the top. And this woman is just beside herself because this prophet is more than just those guys from the Old Testament. He, he's, he's the Lord. So just wrapping it up, this story, as we're looking at it, has a tradition behind it. But it also unfolds in Acts chapter, um, I believe it's Acts chapter 9. Peter brings back to life a woman named Tabitha, or the unfortunate name Dorcas in our world. But Tabitha was one of these people that everybody loved, especially the widows, because Tabitha saw as her role in life, her calling, is to help out widows that no one else wants to help. And they just loved her because she had the Spirit of God just oozing through her pores. And when she died, they were, they were beside themselves. And Peter called her back to life. And he said, Tabitha, Get up. Now, there's a common theme here in all four stories. 
What do these women have in common? There seems to be widows, part of the mix. It seems like widows have a big place in the heart of God. I remember when my mom died, or my, my mom's, my dad died, and my mom was not my mom for a year. I mean, she just was not the same person. Kind of mean to my kids, and I just didn't really want to be around her that much. She was grieving. I'm like, to Mandy, my mom's not right. But she was in a very broken place, uncertain, insecure. But out of it, I saw emerge a faith in my mom I had never seen prior to that. It was like God began to unfold himself into her life at a level she'd never experienced. And she'll tell me when I see her, God, it's good. She says all the time. Then she'll say, God love you. God bless you. And she says, I talk to him all the time. Something about the fact that when we go through something as dramatic as the loss of our breadwinner, our provider, our person that we lean on so much, God says, I'm there. I'm there. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And as a church, there's a lot of things about this text I want to go into, but I just want to say this. Rich and I have been talking about this, this, uh, this, these passages, especially the Sermon on the Mount and Sermon on the Plain. And then we read the book of James, and it seems like James is saying, I read those sermons, I heard them, and this is how you apply it. And in James 1.27, he says, true religion is this. You know what it is? Watch out for widows and orphans and keep yourself unstained by the world. And I just have to wonder, in kind of an open-ended conclusion, two things. One is, if you've ever lost a loved one, Jesus gets it more than you know. And you need to go through a ceremony of remembering, closure. During COVID, I did a lot of little memorials with people. We'd meet out at the grave, graveyard, and we couldn't do a formal service. But I would, tell, I would tell Dan, I would say, I don't care if people pay me or don't pay me. They have to go through this. And that's why pastors are here is to help you. But if you've gone through that and you're wondering where is God, I want to tell you, at the very deepest part of his being, he's looking at you and he's saying, I care. I care deeply. Just the sheer repetition of these stories should tell you if, if anything else. And then there's a challenge for our church. Post-pandemic, who out there is hurting? Who out there is broken? Who out there is grieving? And how, how is God calling us to, to look and see and have compassion? And I don't have the answer to that yet, but I look forward to seeing the answer come with you guys. And I want First Christian to be a church where we, we have a reputation for caring, especially for those people that are, are so needy. So I'm going to end this with prayer. I'm going to ask God, and I want you to ask with me, God, give us eyes fresh eyes to see the hurting that you see and then help us God by your strength and your power to do whatever it is that you call us to do would you bow with me 
Lord Jesus, we read the story and we know that it is significant geographically. It is significant in relation to the sermon you just gave. It is significant to the, to the widow and all those who share that kind of pain. And Lord, I know it's significant to us because we have your spirit inside of us that gives us a desire to help those that are hurting because it is your very spirit living in us. And so I pray, Father, for those in the room who don't have that spirit because they don't have you as Lord and Savior, that the good news of what we've seen, just a slice of that, would call us away from a way of life of selfishness, of distractedness, of taking our eyes and not looking at the painful things, but rather beginning to see things as you see them. In that spirit of repentance towards having your eyes, Lord, just lay before us the lives of the people that you see in our community, in our world, the people around us, in our sphere of influence, in the workplace, wherever it may be. And then, Lord, help us to trust that as you call us, you will give us what we need to do what we need to do in ways that only you can do through us. I just ask, Father, that there would be a change in your church and our posture towards this broken world that is reflective of what we see in these stories in Luke. So help us in that way. Lord, we are getting ready to share in a meal that reminds us of the covenant that we have with you. And so when we see the blood that is represented in the juice and we see the bread we know this is your broken body. And then we see your mom looking at you on the cross. And we see her broken heart. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even in your darkest agony, you said, watch out for my mom. As we take the loaf and the cup, Lord, bless it, cleanse us, help us to be those people positioned and postured for your, your good works. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. If you have your communion cups with you, just go ahead and open them up. And as you do, take a second, reflect on what you've heard. Listen to that still small voice, whatever he may be saying, and then take and eat and remember. Stay with us when you're ready. In the valley, oh God, you're near. In the quiet, 
today and see the compassion that you have deep within you, that you felt it in your deepest being. Help us to, to be like you and we see, see the unnatural, see the unjust, see the, would you show us in need? Help us to be ready to the, and we, we would feel deep in our guts that same compassion when you saw heartbreak. And your psalm was coming true. Um, psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Thank you that that is true from a God who does not stutter. Better than <laughs> the banks that we put the things that we value in. A God that holds us. May you be the true treasure of our lives. And help us to live like that's true. And it's for your wonderful name. Amen. 
All right, we'll see you soon. Uh, for those of you who are new, we have some classes that take place after service. Um, there's a Digging Deeper that takes place in here where we go over the things that we just talked about. And there's two classes downstairs that are going through some really important things. All of it's biblical, and if you'd like to join us, stay after and find somebody, and they'll direct you, all right? All right, we'll see you soon. Go get your kids.